Welcome to the teachings of Pastor Mike Yost of the Springs Calvary Chapel in Habern, Idaho. Please join us as we study the Word of God. The days we are living in, absolutely amazing days. You know, uh, there was a, a broadcast I follow quite often, Olive Tree Views. Anybody know Olive Tree Views? Jan Markell. I highly recommend it. She brings forward all kinds of last days or signs of the times or things that are going on. And she wrote a, a letter and she published it just this last week. And I'm just going to read the last couple paragraphs of it. It goes on and on. I think you'll get the gist of it in just a minute here. But she writes, and this is the, the theme of the, the, the essay or whatever she's writing. She thought, I never thought I would see the day. And then she'll write about issues. And, and this goes on for pages. But she says, I never thought I would see the day, and now I'm just reading the back of her letter. When lockdowns would become part of a normal society, first it was COVID lockdowns, now I'm learning about climate lockdowns coming, uh, and you've probably seen World Economic Forum and all the things they're preparing for virus X. They don't know what it is, but they want a placeholder because they got to be ready to deal with it. <laughs> I'm learning about climate lockdowns coming, and I guess the mantra is, uh, you'll go nowhere and be happy, right? That's one of the things they're teasing us about. She, she goes on to say, I never thought I would see the day that the subject of Israel, who is the primary subject of the Bible, would be the issue causing enormous church splits since October 7th. Denominations don't want to acknowledge that Jews wrote our Bible or play a prominent role in it today. I guess theology matters to some, and their unbiblical theology erases the nation of Israel. And it's just a conclusion of, I never thought I'd see the day when we're watching people walk away from the church, walking away from the faith, just as the Bible said it would happen in the last day. She concludes, I could go on for endless pages with further examples, sadly. The Bible is blunt that the last days would be perilous and filled with unruly and selfish people. It says society would be given over to its lost condition in Romans chapter 1. The problem is we just didn't think it would be this bad. Actually, if I read the Bible, I think it's going to be a lot worse. We're not even there yet. Are we there yet? <laughs> and this is what I want to really bring forward this morning for you. But God placed you and me in this world for such a time as this. We could have been born 2,000 years ago, but we weren't. We could have been born 100 years ago, but we weren't. We were born, foreordained, in God's mind and heart for these last days. And He has prepared for each of us good works that we should walk in them, that we should let our light shine in these dark days. We are here on assignment and not by accident. We can be the salt and light, can't, or we can be the salt and light that is needed for our times. The followers of Jesus Christ are to shine no matter what the circumstances and no matter how bad it gets. Hang on a little longer. It's in the darkness that comes before the dawn 
the dawn that will bring that glorious rapture of the church when we leave this wicked planet behind. Only in eternity will we cease being shocked by the world and by an upside-down society. It's not happening here on earth. I don't care what they tell you in the election cycle. <laughs> Only then will everything make sense. Finally, I will be able to stop saying, I never thought I would see the day. And I don't know if that's relevant to you guys. I know it's 2024 and people are all the prognosticators trying to forecast what will come in 2024. And I can tell you, the Bible already told you, wars, rumors of wars, pestilence, famine, brother rising against brother. I mean, these things are going to get worse and worse like labor pains that come upon uh, a woman uh, in labor, right? And so these are the things we should expect. And we should also expect that God has given us a purpose and a place in the middle of this. We're not here by accident, okay? Some of that, maybe to underscore it on a more positive light, Friday marked the 51st anniversary of Roe v. Wade, okay? That, that landmark case from the Supreme Court that made abortion legal in the United States. That was 51 years ago, January 19th, 1973. Well, on Friday, as they have been doing now for 50 years, they had the March for Life in Washington, D.C., where people came in the blizzards, in the ice, in the nasty weather from across the nation to stand for life. A couple people that were keynote speakers at that were uh, Representative uh, Mike Johnson, and he spoke pro-life. And also Greg Laurie and his wife Kathy were some of the speakers at that rally. And here we are celebrating now overturning Roe v. Wade in 1922, right? Uh, becoming two years ago. And a landmark case, which then basically says it goes back to the states, the states decide. We know all the turmoil that's gone on with that. Well, in Boise, there was a march yesterday okay, March for Life up at the state capitol, very well attended, but also they, they had to schedule themselves. There were two marches yesterday in Boise. One was the Idaho Women's March, which were pro-abortionists, and if you saw any of the news coverage and the people who were leading it, they were raging, literally just wigging out, raging, right? And this was their, their platform just to just bring violence, and, and, and just they were upset and very angry. Then second to that came the uh, March for Life. The theme for the March for Life this year, with every woman, for every child. That we must be there for women who find themselves pregnant and looking for help. Many women are pregnant, and they've got family and friends and loved ones, and it's the most joyous moment in pretty much their whole life. But there's others. They need help. They need the church. They need the communities to come around them. So that's the theme, with every woman and for every child. Because when people tell you that pro-abortionists will say, well, it's, it's a woman's right to choose, and, and they, they just don't ever factor in that, what about that baby girl. You know, 50% of babies are girls. And that women in the womb is being murdered. What choice do they have in that, right? So we see that's all upside down, but we're celebrating, we're winning. In fact, today, this Sunday, 
Always the Sunday following Roe v. Wade is Sanctity of Life Sunday. That's why I'm giving you this little monologue (laughs) prior to getting into the book of Acts. But some of the things that we want to look at with every woman and for every child, the Springs Calvary Chapel is very involved in many issues in society, this being one of them. We are big supporters of Sage Women's Center, uh, a pregnancy care center right in Twin Falls. There's 3,900 approximately care centers across the United States, therefore helping women in these situations, men and women. Did you know Sage Women's Center has family classes and it's heavily attended by men and women, the father and the mother, right? And these are the kind of things that they're doing at Sage. Um, And do you know these 3,900 pregnancy care centers are privately funded. They don't get government funds like Planned Parenthood. Um, And do you know that Planned Parenthood in Twin Falls is still open? Since the uh, Dobbs decision throwing the uh, issue of abortion back to the states, Idaho has been leading the charge. We are actually Idaho versus the United States right now in the Supreme Court. We're coming up in, in the picture for, for having pro-life, the pro-life agenda, right? The pro-life act. And uh, we're, we're kind of a litmus test for the whole nation. But since this came out, uh, close to 6,000 babies' lives have been saved in Idaho. Did I get that right? No, I overstated that. I'm sorry, that's not the right zero. I got too many zeros there. <laughs> but since, since Dobbs came into effect in 2022, across America, 32,000 lives have been saved. 32,000 babies are alive today because of that. Here we're letting the border, just people flow in, and one of the things they say, well, we need the laborers. Since 1973, we have killed 63 million Americans. American babies. We wouldn't need that labor force if we didn't kill everybody first. I'm sorry. I'm, a, I'm on a little bit of a rant. I should have put my black robe on. You would have figured it out better. <laughs> but it's meant to be positive. It's meant to be encouraging because we are winning. We are seeing the victory, right? We also have Embrace Grace, our ministry where we meet women in need, in crises, and we reach out as a church and welcome them in. Too long, the church has been shunning those immoral people that got pregnant out of wedlock. (laughs) Well, (laughs) what are we going to do about it? Are we going to be part of the solution? Well, we have embraced grace here at the Springs. We're also heavily involved in Idaho Chooses Life. Dave Ripley is the main uh, spokesman for it up in Idaho. Do you know our own Jeff McRae is a board member now of Idaho Chooses Life? He sits on the board. Yeah, and in fact, they're not here today because they're up at Eagle Christian uh, up in the Treasure Valley area. They're manning a table for life, and they're, they're promoting especially adoption, which is one of the major bills that's going forward in the legislature this year to make adoption easier. Uh, Terry Marcroft has a book out, and she'll possibly be coming and visiting us this year, but really trying to help make adoption easier for people. So we've got Jeff up there working with Idaho Chooses Life. Um, we've also got Pastors for Life, which Jeff is spearheading, spearheading here in, in southern Idaho, where we're getting together with the pastors from across the, ma- the valley, Catholic churches, Protestant churches, Reformed churches, you know, whatever kind of church, it doesn't matter. We need to rally ourselves together and see how we can support each other in supporting 
these people that need our help. So uh, Idaho Chooses Life, um, Pastors for Life, and even our Salt and Light Council, where we gather at least once a month, and we write postcards and say thank you to the people who are pushing forward these bits of legislation that help us to save lives. So there's a lot that's going on. One of the things coming up this year, it's already been accepted by the Supreme Court of the United States, SCOTUS, right? Uh, and they're going to be ruling on mail order chemical abortion. You might have heard of the drug mefepristone, right? And it's like, it's a drug and you take it and, and it, it will help you pass that baby. It'll, the baby will die. But what's happening is now that it can be done mail order, it went to the Supreme Court because this is an interstate commerce issue. Because now, if you're selling products across state lines, you've got to figure out how to regulate it. And what they're doing is disrespecting Idaho's law that says no abortions and going out of state, getting the drug and bringing it in here. And then women who take that, they don't tell you how tragic the consequences are for so many of them. It's so extremely dangerous. A lot of them will bleed out. They don't have, they don't have a doctor there to deal with the, the, the consequences of that. So I'm, I'm telling you all these things, uh, and yet we win. Yet there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Yet Jesus. And this is the thing that I pray as a church we look at this year and don't just embrace the, the pro-life agenda. There's, there's so much we can do biblically. At the ballot, at the grocery store, at a family gathering, at a football game. Just standing up and shining for the cause of Jesus Christ. But what it's probably going to require more than anything that we do is we've got to get the salt out of the shaker. We've got to get out of the box. We need to be able to start crossing some of the cultural divides in our society. Jesus has given us a tremendous gift, eternal life, and we have that to give to everybody. But the people who need it most quite often are the people we don't come in contact with. And we need to start purposing in our mind, how are we going to get the word out and become active in that? That brings me to your Bible study this morning. <laughs> We're in the Gospel of Acts. We just finished chapter 10, so that means we're going to start chapter 11 this morning, Acts chapter 11. As you recall, God had spoken to Peter while he was on the rooftop waiting for lunch and saw a sheet of animals being lowered down three times, rise Peter, kill and eat, not so Lord. And God says, don't call what I have cleansed, don't call it common. And it sets Peter up to go and visit Cornelius, a God-fearer, a centurion up in the city of Caesarea. He goes there, and uh, by this divine appointment, he preaches the gospel. What's interesting about that is it's repeated three different places what God did. It's going to get repeated again this morning. So if you miss church for two weeks, today's your lucky day. You get the same message we preached last week and the week before. Now, don't blame me. This is the Bible. This is God. And so in it, I believe there's something God is really trying to tell us <laughs> again and again and again. And it has to do with getting the salt out of the shaker, getting the light out from under the bushel up onto a lampstand where everybody can see it. Or, as Jesus would talk about, putting that new wine in new wine skins, we can't just keep doing it the same old way and think we're going to get new results, okay? In verse 44 of last week, and I'm just going to read this for a running start to Acts chapter 11, 
while Peter was still speaking these words, the gospel, the Holy Spirit fell upon those who heard the word, and those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they had heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized, who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord, and they asked him to stay for a few days. That's where we ended. The gospel is going forward to new people, people that they wouldn't normally reach out to, to Gentiles. Peter, a devout Jew, who says, I'm not going to eat that God. And God says, nope, yeah, you are, Pete. In fact, that's gonna, you're going to go up and you're going to go to stay in one of these guys' houses. And, and, and all the rules, all the rituals, all the, the things, the trappings that they surrounded themselves with start crumbling in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so this is all happening. And, and again, like I said, this is now we're going to see it repeated for the third time, the story of what happened, because God's trying to impress upon us. We need to really consider how are we going to get the good news out to those people who need it most? So verse 11. Now, I'm sorry, chapter 11, verse 1. Now the apostles and brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. So back home, okay, because this is up out of the area of Judea, up on the seacoast. But man, revival broke out at Cornelius' house. What's the story? And it's funny how word of mouth spreads so rapidly. And the apostles and brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. This is the first time this is actually happening. All the early church were just Jews, Jews who recognized that Jesus Christ was the Messiah that the Jewish scriptures foretold would come. And so they, as Jews, received Jesus, Messiah. They became completed, fulfilled, or what we call Messianic Jews. And the first church was, in essence, Jewish. It was like a Jewish denomination, a Jewish sect. But now it's going outside of Judaism, and people are starting to hear about it. Verse 2, and when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision contended with him, saying, you went into the uncircumcised men and ate with them. Those of the circumcision, okay? And circumcision, it's just a ritual that God gave to Abraham. Back in Genesis chapter uh, 15, he set Abraham apart, and he says, I'm going to make a deal with you. I'm going to make a, what we call a covenant with you, a promise that I'm going to uphold for all generations that this will be your land, the promised land, and this is the chapter 15 in Genesis where he changes Abram's name to Abraham, father of many nations. So he gives him the promise that you'll be father of many nations, and he still doesn't have the promised child yet, right? And so in verse 10 of Genesis 15, this is what God says to Abraham, this is my covenant which you shall keep between me and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. It's a sign between God and the descendants of Abraham. Okay, just to make that clear, it's not for the whole world. In verse 13, it goes on to say, He who was born in your house and he was bought with your money must be circumcised, and my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised male child who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people, for he has broken my covenant. 
And this is why those of the circumcision, those of the group of people who have received this sign from God, that's why they're having a problem. If you don't do it, it says you'll be cut off from amongst my people. And yet they interpreted the Scripture incorrectly. So many places in the Scripture, God helps them understand what He's really talking about. For example, in Deuteronomy, in chapter 30, at verse 6, God says... If you didn't hear me the first time, this is Deuteronomy. I'm going to say it again. That's what Deuteronomy means, the second telling of the law. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. And you see this will be repeated in Deuteronomy, in Jeremiah, and in Ezekiel. A circumcision of the heart, the cutting away of the flesh, that you may be able to live in the spirit not in the flesh, not controlled by your fleshly desires. Paul goes on to clarify this in many of his letters, but in the, in the book of Romans, in chapter 2, beginning at verse 28, this is what Paul has to say about being circumcised. He says, For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and the circumcision that is of the heart, in the spirit, and not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. And there's a fun little play on word there, because God says that circumcision is an act of the heart. And he talks about Jews. You're not really a Jew unless you have circumcised or cut away your flesh, your fleshly desires, and you walk in the Spirit. You're not a Jew. Now, Jew is a contraction of Judah, and the name Judah means praise. And God says, you're not really a Jew unless you're circumcised in heart. Your praise doesn't come from men. It comes from God. God sees your heart. God knows what's going on inside you, and all the stuff that you do, all the rituals, such as circumcision, doesn't avail you anything. And in fact, Paul gets quite heated. And you're going to see this go on throughout the Scriptures. That's why I'm giving you just a little quick thing on circumcision. You could really dig deep and find a whole lot more. But here's one of the other factors in circumcision. Paul now writes to the church in Galatia. And he says, "...stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised..." Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he's a debtor to keep the whole law. You want to keep one part of the law? You've got to keep the whole law. You break one part, you're lost. Better to live by the Spirit. Okay? He says, verse 4, you have become estranged from Christ, you who attempt to be justified by the law. You have fallen from grace, from just the free gift that God's given you. For we, through the Spirit, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but faith working through love. He goes on to say in verse 11, And I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why do I still suffer persecution? See, this is the issue that we're seeing in Acts this morning, chapter 11. Those of the circumcision are now persecuting those of uh, Cornelius' household because they're not 
partaking in that ritual. And Paul says, if I preach that, then why am I being persecuted? Then the offense of the cross has ceased. You've replaced the cross of Jesus Christ with some silly ritual. Verse 12, I could wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. Now, this is a really nice way of saying what Paul said in the Greek. But you don't have the Greek. Fundamentally, he was talking about <laughs> this frenzied worship that the people in Galatia, worshiping at the temple of Daphne, which we're going to see later this morning, they would work themselves up into this insane frenzy of a worship, and it would culminate with self-castration. That's what Paul says. You want to play the circumcision game? Why don't you just go all the way? Cut her off. That's what it says in the Greek. That's how powerful Paul says. You're completely missing the boat. You're trying to live by the law, not by the Spirit. You're trying to live by works, not by grace. You're trying to do it under your own steam. You're trying to show God, look how good I am. God says, I see your heart. I know your heart. And let me tell you, we got some work to do. <laughs> Paul would conclude in Galatians at verse 13, say, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love. Serve one another, not through law, rule over one another, but through love, serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. You want to tear at each other, pick at each other, and get so nitpicky about this law, this legalism, you become like ravenous wolves, just chewing and biting and tearing each other down. And we see that in the church today. And it's a very sad indictment on the church. Jesus would say to his disciples in the upper room, by this they will know that you are my disciples, by your love one to another. You should love one another as I have loved you. And yet the church has often in so many cases got so split over legalistic points and not finding love in the middle of it all. Um, and it's, it's so sad. You know, you become cannibals, cannibalizing each other. We're the, we're the only army in the world that shoots our wounded. As soon as a Christian falls, somebody has to take them out rather than take them to the hospital and mend them and heal them and pick them back up and get them back on the road. And it's so sad of an indictment that in the, in the church today, Probably the biggest, one of the biggest problems, one of the biggest impediments to bringing people to Jesus is the scarring and the damage that happened to them someplace, somewhere in a very legalistic church. I'm sure we could give testimony all morning to that amongst ourselves. And so this is the issue. This is what's going on with these self-righteous, but in effect, self destructive people of the circumcision. And this is the issue, saying, you went in to the circumcised men, those, those Romans, those family of Cornelius, you went to their house, and look what they said. And here's, the, here's their charge. 
and you ate with them. You had lunch at their house. Shame on you. Right? Notice they don't say, you went into uncircumcised men and preached the gospel to them. You went in and, and they were saved. Or you went in and they received the Holy Spirit and spoke with tongues. Or, and you went to those uncircumcised and you, you baptized them. That's not their problem. Their problem is what? You ate with them. You had lunch with them. Well, truly, in that culture, even today, but in those days, to break bread, to have a meal with one another, would be a tantamount to becoming one with one another. As we would all eat of the same food on the table, we would all consume that. Our, we, our being would become what we've consumed. And we'd share that amongst one another, and that's a way of growing and being family. And they were saying, you, you went and hung out with them. Now, to try to put that in perspective, I think of the March for Life that we just had in Boise. And also the Idaho Women's March, raging and ranting. And what's going to be the solution to this? I don't know, but it might be lunch. I don't think all the letters to the editor are going to change anybody's opinion. Do you think their letter to you is going to change your opinion? Maybe. Maybe we just maybe open a door and say, hey, can we talk? Explain to me where you're coming from. Do you, you do realize, right, that the majority of unplanned pregnancies comes as a result of sexual immorality. Can I say that? Do we not know that? Like, duh. And the Bible talks about that from cover to cover. Don't go there. It's going to create all kinds of headaches for you. It's not my plan for you. It's not my design for you. I've got a better life for you. Don't do that. If you would just eliminate sexual immorality, almost the whole situation would go away. I recognize there's more to it even than that. But if we would sit down and talk with people, well, explain yourselves to me. Tell me where, where you're coming from. You do understand that we're never going to win the abortion issue or any other issue by arguing with one another. And in fact, these are, these are matters of the heart, really, when you get right down to it. And the only thing that's going to change hearts is Jesus Christ. Without Christ, you're just banging your head against the wall. But with Christ, <laughs> it's, it's actually fun. It's actually, we get to see the victory, and we, we watch and see people over and over again go, man, since I've come to know Christ, my heart is really softened, and I, and I do want to please Him, and I want to offer Him, and I see these things. And then maybe, Instead of just being a, a ranter and a rager and a whiner, maybe you start saying, what can I do? Maybe I could volunteer at the pregnancy care center. Maybe I could be part of reaching out to others who I know that are in this situation and welcome them to Jesus Christ and, and becoming part of that, that solution there. And so this is kind of this picture. You went and ate with them. That's their biggest issue, right? And it's not going to get fixed this morning. Trust me, I wish chapter 11 would close the door on that, but we're going to watch Peter 
years later, go into town and not eat with Gentiles because he's afraid what people are going to think of him. And here he is, the hero of this story. Man, he went and broke down these walls and, you know, barriers, and man, wow, what a hero. And yet, he's still going to deal with that issue years from now. St. Pete, we are too. But we've got our marching orders. We see what it is that we're called to do. And then as much as possible, we pray, God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, let me not be part of the problem. Help me bring some light into this situation. Verse 4, but Peter explained it to them in order from the beginning, saying, and now we're going to get a repeat of what happened on the rooftop. So I'm just going to read it. And it's going to be broken down into three pieces, I should say that. Verses 5 through 11, Peter's going to explain, I got a vision from God. And then as we go on into verses 12 through 15, he can say, not only did I get a vision from God, but we saw a witness of the Holy Spirit. It was poured out on them. They were manifesting gifts of the Spirit. So it was a vision from God. We had the witness of the Holy Spirit. And finally, he's going to conclude, not only that, but it all is confirmed by the Word of God. This is exactly what Jesus told us was going to happen. And so we've got a vision from God. We've got the witness of the Holy Spirit. And we've got the Word of God. We're standing on solid ground. This is what Peter says. But Peter explained to them in order from the beginning, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, an object descending like a great sheet, let down from heaven by four corners, and it came to me. When I observed it intently, and I considered, I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, Not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has at any time entered my mouth. But the voice answered me again from heaven, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. Now this was done three times, and all were drawn up again into heaven. And at that very moment, three men stood before the house where I was, having been sent to me from Caesarea. Then the Spirit told me to go with them, doubting nothing. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house, who said to them, send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who will tell you words by which you and all your household will be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as on us at the beginning. Now, when Peter says it fell on us as it did on us at the beginning, he's referring to the book of, or the day of Pentecost. You can find that in chapter two. You can flip there in just like two seconds. But this wasn't two seconds. This is over 10 years ago now. When Peter says at the beginning, back at the day of Pentecost, 10 years ago, remember how the Holy Spirit fell? He says, same thing happened here. Verse 16, then I remembered the word of the Lord. Here's the testimony of the word of God confirmed how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If therefore God has given them the same gift as he has gave us, when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? So there he said it. And if you've missed the last two weeks, there you get it again. <laughs> Three times the sheet came down and went up. Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Three times, repeated three times, nine times. God is trying to make a point here. What I have cleansed do not call common. Have you received Jesus Christ? 
as your Lord and Savior, as, as your Savior, that He actually went to the cross in your place, He shed His blood to pay your debt, and that by His blood shed on the cross, you have been cleansed of all your sin. You've restored to a position of righteousness in the eyes of God, and that you are now a new creation in God. If this is you and you can say that, then you can join in with these. Uh, <laughs> he gave that gift to them. He gave that gift to us. How can I withhold water from them? This beautiful witness. When he heard these things, and, and when they, um, verse 18, when they heard these things, they became silent and they glorified God saying, then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance of life. <gasps> yeah. Vision from God. Holy Spirit in their lives. The Word of God, that's what it said would happen. This is what happened to the, me, happened to them, and it's confirmed. And this is, they're just like, they're kind of stunned. It says they're silent. And this is a really a beautiful thing. Whenever you're confronted with something that maybe feels like it's challenging you a little bit, especially spiritually, you're hearing something, maybe the preacher says something on Sunday morning, you're sure, I'm not sure about that. It's okay. That's okay. Pause. Think about it. Go to the Word. Go to the witness of the church, the Holy Spirit. Go to the pictures of what God has shown us the world would look like and see if it's not true or not. But rather than just reacting, rather than just ranting, rather than just raging, stop and listen and think. And this is what they did. And you know, this is really testimony of the Holy Spirit working in the lives of all the saints. Do you know that when you confess Jesus as your Lord, you're the boss of me now, take over, take the wheel, I'm giving you full control of my life, you're Lord, and I know that I'm going to heaven, okay? My sins are forgiven, I'm heaven bound, I'm a child of God. As you go ahead and, and, and go through those, those steps and start moving towards God, you should have the Holy Spirit. That's what the Bible says. The Holy Spirit comes in and takes up residence. The same Holy Spirit that's in you is in you. Husband, wife, parent, children, Brother, sister, we have the same Holy Spirit. There is only one Holy Spirit. In fact, we read in the book of Ephesians in chapter 4, beginning at verse 1, Paul writing, I, Paul, therefore a prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling which, with which you were called, with all lowliness, humility, and gentleness, with long-suffering, and bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Christian brother, Christian sister, Christian husband, Christian wife, Christian parent, Christian child, with the Holy Spirit indwelling you, is there any way that we can come together in that bond of the Spirit.
that bond of love, that bond of peace. One of the things I love about our board here at the Springs is that when we get together and we discuss issues, we look for the unity of the Holy Spirit. Because I believe if this is something that God wants for His church, the Springs, that He's going to put the same thing in my heart as He puts in Dallas's heart, or Jerry's heart, or Jeff's heart. That if it's truly of the Spirit, we should find that unity and that harmony. And so this is one of the keys of walking in the Spirit, especially as husband and wife and parents and, and uh, workers and, and, and things. We're always looking to see, is there, is there that bond of peace, that unity, that wholeness? Well, this is what happens. All of a sudden, these people of the circumcision are touched, and the, they have the Holy Spirit, and all of a sudden, this starts making sense, and, 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 the, and the gospel starts moving through new doors. It's just, it's, it's a beautiful thing right here. Um, they became silent, and they glorified God, saying, then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. Hallelujah. I know I took a long time getting started <laughs> with the Sanctity of Life introduction. And I'm looking at the clock, and it's time to stop. I would have liked to have gone further in the Scriptures today, but clearly I've spent my time doing other things. <laughs> so we're going we're gonna to stop at that point today. But I would just ask us, maybe God is saying something to us in our walk. It's important that we stand on the Word of God. It's important that we walk in the Spirit of God. It's important that we confess our need for the Lord, that we need Jesus in our life, and that we can't do it without Him. And there are going to be things as we grow in our relationship with Him that are, we're going to find challenging. If you've been a Christian any time at all, there's probably some things along your, the way that you don't see the way you once saw them. Often it comes through Bible study or a brother or a sister that brings to you something that you hadn't considered before. This is not a call to be a wishy-washy, willy-nilly, all-over-the-map Christian. It's to be settled and to be secure that God has you in the palm of His hand, and nobody's going to snatch you out. And that as He works in your life, you might find yourself growing. You might find yourself stretching. You might find yourself starting to see things maybe you never saw before. <laughs> One of the things that I think is funny, as, as Peter is experiencing all these things, um, up at the men's retreat, like men's advance. Men don't retreat, men advance. Okay. <laughs> Got to let that sink in for a minute, right? Girls go to retreats, right? <laughs> you don't want to answer, right? <laughs> it's a joke. I'm just being silly. But we do go on advances. <laughs> at the men's advance, I told you I'm going to be one of the speakers there, and I'm going to be speaking out of Second Peter chapter 3 speaking about the days that we're living in. 
and the challenges that we face with scoffers and people saying, the Lord's not really coming, and, and all these different things that we're dealing with in the world. But it's interesting how Peter finishes up, considering this whole arc, this whole trajectory that Peter is on in his life as we get to follow his life. But in 2 Peter chapter 3, I'm just going to close with this. I'm going to read it on through. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in your holy conduct and godliness? looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Amen? And then Peter finishes this, the last two verses of Second Peter. You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, Beware, lest you fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with error, the error of the wicked. But, and here's the admonition, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grow in the grace. Grow in the knowledge. Keep growing. Don't stop growing. Grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory, both now and forever. Amen? Amen. Amen. Lord Jesus, thank you for this morning and the opportunity we have just to come and, and celebrate you, celebrate life, celebrate light, celebrate the opportunities in the open doors, celebrate the victories that we know you've already won on our behalf. Help us, Lord, to be encouraged and strengthened and, and built up in your Holy Spirit and one to another that we would just come alongside each other and encourage and support each other. I pray, Lord, as we dismiss now for this agape feast, that we would share amongst one another, not just the food, but the great fellowship, Lord, that you would use this time to grow us as a body, that we could go out and impact the world around us for your, your name. And so, Lord, we give you thanks for all these things according to your perfect will in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Thanks for joining us today. To learn more about the Springs Calvary Chapel, please visit our website at www.thespringscalvarychapel.org. Join us in person at the Springs in Hebron, Idaho, or here on the podcast as we worship together in spirit and in truth.